Didn't Stephanie do a good job? Let's all give her a hand. She's a great blessing to our church, just like you are, and we're so glad you're here. I wasn't here last week, so Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Golly, it sounded like it started out great for you, huh? Happy New Year. Yip-dee-doo. Um, anybody already uh, screw up their uh, New Year's resolutions? Yep, a few of us. Uh, mine was to be in bed by 11 o'clock each night. Colts messed that up last night. Then they ruined it by us losing, uh, so uh, it was a tough night. So for Colts fans, some of us are in pain. If you're another fan, uh, we're for you now, uh, unless you're the Jets, and then we're not. But a uh, little bit hard, okay, a little hard. Um, but seriously, uh, New Year's resolutions are things that happen all the time, and when we break them, people feel discouraged, and they give up, and then they just end. And what I want to tell you this morning is, is that uh, if you've already messed up, today's a new day. It's a brand new day to get up and say, I'm going right back at it. And that's one of the things that we're going to be talking about the next two weeks, is how do we dream dreams that are bigger than ourselves? And in fact, I believe that the next two Sundays are going to be two of the most important Sundays in the history of the jar. And so you want to just put down right now on your calendar to be here next week. Whatever plans that you had before, cancel them. Tell yourself that you will be here next week. And invite friends, family. If there are people that were connected at the jar at one time and they're not, say, man, you need to come next week because we're going to be talking about the dream that God has for our church. And so that's what we're going to be talking about the next two weeks. How do we dream bigger? And I want us to begin this morning by looking at God's Word, the Bible, about what I think is the ultimate verse of how we can dream bigger and what God can do with our dreams. So it'll come up on the screen, and I would like us actually to read this out loud. And so let's read it together. God, by His mighty power at work within us, is able to do far more than we could ever dare to ask or even dream of, infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, or hopes. And if you would, in your program, I'd like you to circle that phrase, far more. That God is able to do far more than you could ever dare to think of or ever dream of. You see, folks, the reality is, is that God has given you a dream. And the ability to dream is a God-given gift. In fact, our ability to dream is what makes us different from animals. Animals don't dream. They look at you and they go, you're nice. Food, water, i got to go to the restroom. But, you know, they don't really think about dreams. Animals do not have the power to dream. But God has given you and me and every single person in this room the ability to dream and visualize and be creative and plan. You know, every great achievement always begins with a dream. 
Nothing ever happens in this world, in this church, anywhere, that is great unless there's someone who begins with a dream. Because nothing starts until someone starts dreaming. Uh, anybody know who this guy is that will come up on the board? It's not my dad. Somebody said my dad. <laughs> you guys are mean at the beginning of the year. Gee whiz. It's Albert Einstein. He is one of the most intelligent Americans ever to walk on our soil. But even Einstein said this, imagination is more important than knowledge. Let me say that again. Imagination is more important than knowledge. And that's pretty an, an amazing statement when you think of who it was said by. Folks, imagination, dreams are essential for you to be healthy. And everybody, every single person here, everybody in Muncie, Delaware County, East Central Indiana, the world needs a dream. But this is what I've found is the problem. As we become adults and we grow older and older, what happens is we dream what? Less and less. I mean, as a kid, um, I, I wanted to be an NBA professional basketball player. And I would have made it. There were only two things that held me back, actually three. One was I wasn't six feet tall and I didn't weigh 200 pounds. And I didn't have much of a vertical jump. Now here's a basketball goal right here. I'm going to show you my vertical right now. You ready? Did you see it? <laughs> Let me do it again. You see it that time? Folks, it's true. White men cannot jump, okay? It is. But in my backyard when I was a kid, I thought I was going to be able to play in the NBA. I was going to be able to dunk. I was going to be the next Dr. J. And I would sit imagining in my head, okay, I'm going to hit the last second shot for the 76ers. And I was going to be Dr. J. No doubt in my mind. Have you ever noticed that kids have a great ability to imagine? They just have a wonderful imagination. My oldest daughter, Jordan, has a great imagination, and she loves to dream. One day, she dreams that she's a doctor, like her mom, and everybody in the house is sick, and only Dr. Jordan can fix you. And she comes in with her little Ernie stethoscope, and she begins to try trying to make you feel better. But that's her dream for that day. The next day, she dreams she's a missionary and she's going to Mexico to help all those people there. The next day, she dreams she's a teacher and on and on and on and on. This past week, since I was doing some studying about dreaming, I went up and I just asked Jordan. I said, Jordan, what do you dream of? She said, look at the screen, Larry the Cucumber. The pastor's daughter, her biggest dream is to be a big, fat, giant pickle. That's it. You know, but that's her dream. And kids have this great imagination. They have this ability to want to dream, to think beyond themselves. And they have no limits, no hesitancy, nothing whatsoever that will defray them from actually being able to fulfill it. 
In their mind, there is no doubt that it's going to happen. Kids have a great imagination. They have great dreams. But then when we become an adult, what happens is we become to dream less and less and less. We stop imagining. We stop dreaming. Well, this morning, I want to stretch you. I want every single one of us to dream this morning. Don't fall asleep. I don't mean that kind of dream, okay? I want us to dream about something that's bigger. And I don't mean just little dreams that you could do on your own. I'm talking about dreams in your life that unless God shows up, there's no way that will even happen. Because this is the reality, folks. Either you're dreaming big or you might as well not even dream at all. Because the whole point of life is for you to do something great for God and to honor Him. And as you do that, you impact the people around you. William Carey was one of the biggest dreamers who had ever had a dream in the world. William Carey was just an ordinary, young cobbler. Anybody know what a cobbler is? A shoemaker. He was like the first Nike guy, okay? And William was a Christian, and one day, he's in England, and he senses this call from God that he needs to go to Burma and to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And he begins to share this dream, and no one had done this before. No one had been kind of a modern missionary. And they looked at William Carey and they said, You're crazy! You're nuts! You're wacko! In fact, most people that he talked to, when he was telling them about this, this is what they told him. If God wants to save the heathen, He'll do it Himself. He doesn't need William Carey. And folks, the concept of being a modern missionary was just not in people's minds. And no one thought he even had a chance. But the thought that God doesn't use human beings, folks, is just not true. God longs to use every single person in this place for a unique dream that He has for you. But the thought that He would use you, sometimes could He? And the reality is He can. And it's a dumb thought to think that God would not use us to be able to reach people to bring them to Himself. That lost people would be found. That hurt people would get healing. That people who are in darkness would find light because we share with them God's love. And so, William Carey, he listened to God rather than listening to man. And he got on a boat and he went from England to Southeast Asia. And he was the first modern missionary. Every single missionary that has come since him owes a debt of gratitude to the fact that he stepped out of the the boat and he walked on water and he went all the way to Burma to change people's lives. And what I want to share with you today is one of the most famous quotes and it's a quote that is tattooed on my heart. And if I had a tattoo machine, I'd tattoo it on yours, okay? But we don't have one today. So you're just going to have to memorize it. But it's words that come from William Carey, and this is what he said. Attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God. In fact, let's all say that together, okay? Attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God. 
That's what needs to be the heart of where we're at. Folks, every single person needs a dream. It's a psychological kind of necessity because if you are not dreaming, if you don't have a goal, if you don't have some sense of a vision for your life, then you're dying. People that don't dream are dying. Because either you're expanding in your life or you're dying. And the difference is whether or not you have a dream. You know, I don't believe in this thing as a great person. I don't believe that. I believe that there are ordinary people who are committed to great dreams. When people are committed to a great dream, then people recognize that's a great person because they're committed to something that's bigger than themselves. And if you want to be healthy, you've got to have a dream to live for. Because God expects you to use your imagination because He wants you to dream big. So why don't we do this? Why don't we dream? Why do we always have to wait until January 1st and we write down two or three things like lose weight, look, uh, you know, a little bit better than I did last year, and, uh, you know, maybe make two more bucks than I did. Ooh, ooh. But that's all we do. We have these little, these little measly things that we put down. What happens to us? Why don't we dream? Well, I think there are five things that kind of happen to people. Kind of five types of people, you might say, when it comes to dreaming. Here's the first one. It's the type of person who has no dream. Those with no dream. These are people who have no dream. For many people, the goal of their life is simply to make it through the day. That's it. What's your dream? To get home tonight. Whoa, you're kind of big, aren't you? Chuck Swindoll, who was the chancellor of Dallas Theological Seminary and worked with college students all the time, pulled a college student aside one day and he, he just asked him, he said, hey, where are you headed for your life? And the student said, to lunch. And that's what happens with so many of us. The biggest moment of our day is that we get to go to lunch. And folks, God wants so much more for your life and for you to dream bigger. One time, Jesus was walking down the side of the road, and as he's walking down the side of the road, he looks at a person and he asks this question, what do you want me to do for you? That's a profound question from God Himself to look at you and say, what do you want me to do for you? And I just wonder, folks, do you ever ask that question of yourselves? What do I want God to do for me? What do I want God to do for my family? What do I want God to do in my workplace? What do I want God to do in my life? If God could answer anything in your life right now, what would you ask Him for? What would be your greatest desire, your heart's desire? What would you ask for? Now, you might ask this morning, well, Bunch, why is that such a big deal? You know why it's a big deal? Because God is able to do more than you could ever think or imagine. More than you could dare, more than you could dream of, He can do it. More infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, or our hopes. 
You see, going through life without a dream, folks, is kind of like going to the grocery store without a shopping list. You ever done that before? Over uh, the holidays, Jennifer told me one day, she said, hey, I want you to go get a few items. I didn't write them down. I'm a man, you know. And so I didn't write anything down, and I get there, and I get a whole bunch of stuff that we did not need. And I bring like three or four bags, and I walk in, and she goes, I asked you to go get yogurt for the kids and a gallon of milk. But you know, as I was walking in the grocery store, all of a sudden Doritos started jumping out at me. And all of a sudden, Cheetos started jumping out. And I was like, Cheez-Its are on sale. And here's Pop. And I just couldn't do it. You know, I just had to get all of this stuff. And the reason I did is because I didn't have a plan. I didn't have my shopping list. Can you imagine football coaches these last two days going into the game and going, we don't need a game plan? You know how many of them would have been fired? Some of them had a game plan. They're going to be fired, you know? (laughs) That's what it's like. Or if you get ready to do your flower bed and you have 500 flowers and you're like, man, I got a good deal. And you have a flower plot that only fits like five. Oh, man, what am I going to do with that, you know? Or you get ready to go build a shed in the back of your yard, and you have no idea. But you just say, ah, let's go to Lowe's and pick five or six boards. We'll be good. I've done that before, you know. (laughs) And you see what happens, folks, is that when you don't have a dream, these are the results. Here's the first thing. You get very frustrated. Frustration just consumes you. If you don't set goals and move through life, basically what happens is you just go from crisis to crisis. Whenever the next thing happens, you deal with that. The next thing happens, you deal with that. If you don't have a dream for your relationship with God or your marriage or your work or your kids, whatever, what happens is you become a reactor, not an actor. You're not proactive. You become reactive to everyone else around you. And what happens is, pretty soon, people start telling you what your dreams are, what your goal is, how you should live your life. You're not doing it yourself. You're just reacting to everyone else. And it becomes very frustrating. Here's the second thing that happens when you don't have a dream. You become bored. You know, you come home and teenagers, it's boring. So boring. Everything's boring. You don't have a dream, life becomes boring. There's no reason why you should even get up in the morning. You don't have anything. Here's the last thing. You live a life of regrets. You live a life of regrets. People who have uh, failed to dream tend to be the if-only people. If only, if only. If only I had done that. If only I had done this. I have spent so many times with people on their deathbed, and I can always tell the difference, folks, between people who had a dream and people who didn't. You know what it is? If only. If only. I'm telling you right now, you don't want to get to the end of your life and just say, if only. You want to say, I have a dream in my life, and God has it for me. Here's the second type of uh, person, and it's this. Those who have a low dream. Those who have a low dream. Now, this is a little bit better, but not much. There's no challenge for this person at all to dream very big. 
I mean, for a lot of people in this category, uh, the dream is, I just want to make a lot of money and then retire. Jennifer and I, one time, we were at this big doctor function, and I walked around to all these doctors, you know, trying to see what they were all up. And you know, about 50%, one out of every two, when I would go around and talk to them, their question that I would ask them, hey, what, you know, what's the dream for your practice or whatever? To make money. Whoop-dee-doo, you know? So what? You make a lot of money and then you die. That's it. That's a low dream, folks. You can have all the money in the world, and maybe some of you are unemployed today, and you're like, I'd like to have some. But the reality is, folks, if you had it all, if you had everything, if you don't have a dream, a God-given dream, it really doesn't matter. Now, this is some of the reasons why we have low dreams. First of all, it's because dreams hold us accountable. And you can write these on your own. They won't be up here, but they hold us accountable. As soon as you give your dream, guess what happens? The pressure is on. You share your dream with someone else, and it's like you're in a pressure cooker, and you have to deal with things now. When I first said that I was going to start a church seven years ago, I mean the pressure was on. And it hit big time. Here's another reason why we set low dreams. It's a fear of failure. We just fear that we're going to fail. I mean, what if I don't achieve my goal? What if I don't make it? I'm going to be embarrassed. I'm going to be the laughing stock of my family if I don't do this. Nothing kills a dream, folks, more than fear. And you know why I know that? Because I've allowed it to kill a lot of dreams in my life. Because I gave in to fear rather than faith. Finally is the fear of criticism. Other people might laugh at me. They might criticize me. They may put me down. They may go, oh boy, you think you got it all together. They may have misunderstandings about your motives. When I started uh, this concept of starting a new church, I was a part of a church. And when I would share it with a couple of people, I'll never forget uh, one guy coming up to me and go, are you on an ego trip or something? Our church isn't good enough for you, so you got to go start your own church? You know, you start thinking, no, that wasn't my heart at all. But that's what people start thinking when you share a dream. Folks, if you dream big, people are always going to question your motives. Every single time, guaranteed, no matter what. The issue is, never be afraid of attempting something great for the glory of God. I mean, when it comes to God's glory and elevating Him, I'll put my reputation on a God thing every single time. And if it gives honor to Him and it grows the church, my money's there, my effort's there, whatever, because I see the lives of people who are being changed in this place because of a God-given dream. And this is the thing that I've learned, folks, is that even if you don't make it and you don't achieve all the goals, if it's a God-given thing, the greatest purpose of the world, you're never a failure. You are never a failure. Do we fail? Absolutely. Are you considered a failure? Absolutely not. 
God doesn't make junk, and the dreams that He has for your life that He wants you to fulfill, you may fail at some of those things, but you yourself are not a failure when you go after something big for God. Just make sure, though, it's from God. Here's the third type of person. Those who have the wrong dream. Those who have the wrong dream. I would say that before you ever go to try to attain a certain dream, you need to figure out whether or not it's worthwhile. And the way you often do that is you talk to people who've already done it before. I mean, before you ever set out on your dream, you check out with others. So if you want to be Donald Trump, you should go to Donald Trump and talk to him. How did you do this? How did you do that? Talk to his family, friends. If you want to be, what's his name, Mark Zuckerberg? I was Zuckerberg. See, I was close. You want to be the next, next Facebook person, blah, blah? I don't know what all he does. He's just the youngest billionaire I know ever. But if you want to be that person, you go and you talk to him. You talk to his family, friends. Get to know them. But folks, what happens sometimes is that many people climb the ladder of success, and what they find out at the end of the day, their ladder was against the wrong wall. Let me say that again. Sometimes you have this ladder of success that people are climbing up, but what they find out is that their ladder is against the wrong wall. And they come at the end of their life, folks, and they've given their life to something that will not outlast it. That's the whole point of life, isn't it? To invest in something that will outlast it. I think the tragedy that I often see as a pastor is that more than anything else is that there are people in the church who are extremely talented, who are extremely gifted, who have great potential, who have a lot of possibility, who have a lot of ability, yet they're focusing their life on a first-class allegiance. They're giving their life to a first-class allegiance, but it's a second-class cause. They're giving all their life to a first-class allegiance, but it's a second-class cause. And as a result is that what's going to happen is one day it will betray them. Someday it's going to come up short. It won't meet all their needs. And they'll stand before God one day, and God will ask them, what did you do with your life? What did you do? And friends, the one thing that I've discovered that you don't want to have as your dream is impressing other people. And so many of us go through life, and if it came right down to it, that's what we try to do. We want to look good for our parents. We want to look good for uh, friends. We want to look good for colleagues. We want to impress people around us. And it's not worth it. I mean, you can be a hero one day and a zero the next. How many times have you seen someone on the front cover of People magazine, and a year from that point, they don't even talk about the person? They were just on the front cover of People magazine. And a year later, no one's even talking about them. Fame does not bring you happiness. I read a quote the other day. When short men cast long shadows, you know the sun is setting. Some of you will get that later on, okay? Let me say that again. When short men cast long shadows, you know that the sun is setting. And folks, that's the issue of our culture sometimes. Don't get the wrong dream. Here's a fourth thing. There are those people who have vague dreams. They have vague dreams. They may have a great idea, but they're very unclear about it. 
I think some of you in this place today, you're saying, I want to be used by God. I want my life to mean something. I want my life to do something great for people and for God. I want my life to count. But there are still some vague specifics in your life right now. I've never really thought about it. I've never written it down. This is what I'm going to do with my life. I'm going to pour my energy into it. You write it down, folks. The reason you write it down is because then you hold yourself accountable to doing it. Folks, when you look at Jesus Christ, he was the most goal-oriented person ever to walk planet Earth. At the age of 12 years old, he already knew what he was doing. The Bible says this. At the age of 12, Jesus said these words, I must be about my father's business. I don't know about you, but at the age of 12, I wasn't there. I was still sucking my thumb and picking my nose, you know? I mean, at age 12, I was just trying to, you know, make it to age 13. Jesus, though, is focused. And look at the end of his life. These are the last words that he says. He says this, it is finished. What a successful life. He says, I must be about my father's business. And at the end of the story, he says it's finished. In other words, I accomplished it. John 17 says this, I came and I've accomplished all you've told me to do. Wouldn't that be the greatest thing when you're on your deathbed that you could honestly look at every single person around you and say, I came and I've accomplished everything God told me to do. Folks, that's strong. Jesus was very clear. He knew exactly what God wanted him to do. And he did it. The last thing is uh, people, and it's those who have God's dream. They have God's dream. And I just want you to know, regardless of where you're at with the whole God thing in your life, maybe you're just checking them out, maybe you've made a commitment, wherever that's at, the reality is, folks, this is where you want to be. You want to be the type of person that has God's dream. Because these these type of people, they know where they're headed, and God is lifting them to go in that direction. Because they've gotten a dream from God. In 1998, I began the process of going through these five dreams. I was a no-dream person in 1998. I had just left a small little country church in Flora, Indiana, and I thought that was going to be the dream of my life, and God messed that all up in my life, and all of a sudden I was here in Muncie, Indiana. I love Muncie now, but at that point, that's what it was like. And uh, all that I really thought about was, well, I guess I better go to school while I wait on my wife to finish being a doctor and I'll live off of her, you know. (laughs) Whoa, big dream there, bunch, you know. And so I had no clue what I was going to do with my life. Literally, when I would go to class, I would sit there and you know what I'd be thinking? Pizza Hut. (laughs) Pizza Hut. Because at noon, you could go to Pizza Hut in Anderson University, their food commons. They had a pizza out there, and I would get a a personal pan pizza and breadsticks, and I'd sit by myself, and I'd think, oh, man, this is good. I mean, I would have been like that kid, you know, if they came up and they said, Bunch, where are you headed? Pizza Hut, you know? I had no dream. In 1999, I moved from a no dream to a low dream. I thought this, well, if I'm doing this school thing, I guess I should finish it. I might as well get my master's degree. 
Because I thought it would be really cool to have my wife Jennifer walk around, you know, every once in a while and go, Master, you know? <laughs> that dream never came. <laughs> Been trying for 17 years, man. And I call her doctor and I call her anything else, but not me. No master there. You see, folks, getting a degree is great. I hope all of us that feel called to pursue a degree that you would do that. But if your ultimate thing is just to get the degree or just to make money and you don't impact other people's lives, it's a low dream. It is. In 2000, I went from a low dream to the wrong dream. We had this little class uh, that I was taking on church growth. And so they took us to the largest church at that time in Chicago called Willow Creek Community Church. They had 20,000 people. I mean, you walked in there and you're like, is God here, you know? Like, he's got to be here. And I was there and I was like, that's it. I'm going to be a mega church pastor. I mean, I'm going to have this church of 20,000 people. And I remember praying even one time. Oh, God, you know, if I could just, I don't even need that big. Just give me 10% of that. I'll just take two grand, you know. And I'll never forget this, the prompting from God that was so important in my life. He said, Chris, you're going after the wrong dream. Now, I did uh, kind of think about this week, and I think the jar could be a church of, um, you know, 2000. This is kind of how I figured out how we could do it. Um, all the women who are here today, not counting the children you have right now, but uh, you just need 10 more. And there'll be a sign-up sheet in the back that any of you, you know, that want to kind of go on that program will kind of do, you know. Folks, this is what I'm saying. I, I'm never going to be a mega church pastor. You know why? Because I don't have mega church gifts. But you know what else I've learned? That I do have some gifts. And God will take ordinary people and he will do extraordinary things if we give it to him. So it's the wrong dream. Now, in uh, 2001, uh, I uh, went from a wrong dream to a vague dream. I had this idea that we were going to start a church, but I had no clue how to do it whatsoever. None at all. And so I thought to myself, well, you know, I need to go around and learn from other people. And that's what I did through most of 2002. Learning from other people who had done it. And this is what they told me. You know, 80% of all new churches fail. Oh, that's good. Within the first couple of years, they don't even exist. And so I went around, I learned as much as I could. I had 120 people praying. I had 100 people that I'd ask, hey, come and be a part of this stream. And at the end of uh, all of that, I had about six people that joined me. But in 2002, I was praying to God, pleading, asking Him to do something great. And in 2002, He spoke to me in such a powerful way. And He said, start the church in Muncie and never ask me again. And I haven't. And JAR 1.0 began. God soon revealed the name of the church. One day I was reading in the Bible in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It says this, Remember our message is not about ourselves. 
We're proclaiming Jesus Christ the Master. All we are is His messengers, errand runners from Jesus for you. It started when God said, light up the darkness, and our lives filled with light as we saw and understood God in the face of Christ, all bright and beautiful. And then this is where it says, but we have this treasure in what? Jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. During the same time, the ball canning jar left Muncie and other jar canning uh, manufacturers started to leave too. And it left this path of pain for a lot of people in our community. And our community needed a jar that would not leave when the economic crisis hit. A jar that would stay and stay connected. One that would give light to other people. And most of all, one in which the jar at the center of the focus was Jesus and his love for people. You see, folks, every single one of us in this place today, you're a jar. You're an ordinary jar. Some of you are clay jars. Some of you are marble jars. Some of you are glass jars. But this is the truth about every single person in this place. We're all broken. Every single one of us. You may think you have it all together, but you're a broken jar. We've all flubbed up, messed up, and screwed up in this thing called life, and the reality is God still says, I accept you as is, but I love you too much to stay there, so I'm going to give you a dream to make you go bigger, to make you go further, to make you grow closer to me and impact more lives. You see, folks, the passage that we're looking at here today is the focus is not on the outside of the jar and what it looks like, but it's on the priceless treasure that's inside the jar that you can receive. And that's God's love and power in your life when we turn to him. And then we're called to be errand runners that take this and we give it to every single person that we know of his love and his power that people can have in Muncie and Delaware County and all of East Central Indiana. So with a name and a vision, all of a sudden we came up with an acrostic. What were we going to be? And the J for the jar kind of stood as Jesus-centered. That it wasn't going to be Chris-centered. It wasn't going to be this personality, pastor kind of driven place. But it was going to be Jesus-centered. And that we were going to not be music-centered. We wouldn't be economically-centered. It would be Jesus-centered. And then we had the A, which stood for accepting community. We desired to accept everyone, regardless of who they were or what they had done. And you know why? Because that's the way Jesus accepts people. Exactly where they're at. He loves them that way. We wanted to be that community. And then the R stands for relationship-driven. Everything Jesus said and did and taught focused on relationships. And we wanted to create that same type of community. And so on October 10th, 2004, it was a nasty yellow kind of thing. It was right here in the middle. It came down the middle, and we met on that side, and there were not very many people, but we met anyways. And as we met together, all of a sudden, God began to give us a vision, some goals of what we wanted to accomplish. And JAR 1.0 started, and they're in your program. But we wanted to pray that God would use us to connect with those who were disconnected from Christ and the church to create an accepting community driven by building relationships with Jesus and others, to build a church that impacts our world both locally and globally, and to grow people that every single person would do small things done with great love. And many people 
prayed hard and they worked hard and they sacrificed much for these goals to be accomplished. And I believe that they have and they will continue to be. And the result from JAR 1.0, seven years later, is this. That God has been faithful enough to give us an attendance of about 225 people. And it's exactly what we were thinking for a seven-year run. We said between 200 and 250 people. Well, 225 is about as you know, center as you can be. And now we're expecting God for something bigger and greater in a dream that I'll be calling JAR 2.0, and I'm going to be talking about it next week. And you're going to want to be here because you're going to be a part of the dream, and you yourself will want to learn how to dream bigger in your own life. And it's a dream from God and for God. I've talked to the leadership team and other key leaders, and they have looked at it and they've like, yes, this is where we think God is leading us, where He's directing us, and where He wants us as a group to go forward. And next week I'll share it. And I can't wait to share the dream with you. I've been waiting for months to be able to share next week. So next week, you've just got to be here. And invite anyone that you can to be here because this is where we're going. This is where we believe God is leading us. Well, I'd like to just close by uh, asking you a question. And it's, how big do you want to dream? Cornelius Dupree Jr. this week, maybe you heard about his story. He spent 30 years in prison for a crime he did not commit. I can't even imagine that uh, you'd spend one day in prison, but let alone 30 and knowing that you're innocent. And I'm sure that he woke up every single day dreaming and thinking and hoping that, you know what? I'm going to get free one day. One day this will happen. In this past Tuesday, he walked out because he was exonerated, because they found DNA evidence that we didn't have 30 years ago, and they found out that he wasn't even the person. And this is what I want to say to some of you this morning. Some of you are in a prison as bad as what he went through. And it's called the prison of normalcy. You have just chosen the normalcy kind of thing and you are not dreaming bigger than what God wants to do in your life. And folks, just as Cornelius Dupree Jr. was freed this week, God wants to free you. Free you of fear, free you of pain, free you of whatever it is, so that you would dream once again. To get away and to get out of the prison of no dream. So this week I want to challenge you to dream, and if you've dreamed before, to dream again. The reality is some of you have never sought God for a God-given dream, and this is your week. I want you to pray each day this week. This is a short, simple prayer. God, what dream do you have for my life? That's it. Nothing big, nothing greater than that. And then I want you to do something that is just as important, and that is to sit down for five minutes and to just listen. The Bible says this, Be still and know that I am God. 
You see, there's something about when we are still that we know God. And so many of us are busy doing all kinds of stuff, and that's not even the dream God has for your life. But you're just doing and stuff. And this week, to be still and to know that I'm God. And then if you hear anything, don't think it's weird. Don't think that a prompting in your spirit. It may not be actual words, but it's okay to write it down. And as God does that, he will increase your faith. I believe strongly that God wants to do something bigger in your life in this year than you have ever dreamed of, that you have ever dared to ask for. And he wants to do it with you, for you, to impact the world. The world, folks. Your world and the world we live in. Because God is bigger, God is stronger, God is greater, and he has a big dream for your life. Let's stand for closing prayer. God, some of us uh, come into this place today and, and God, we came in with no dream. Some of us came in with uh, a low dream. Some of us came in with a vague dream. Some of us uh, maybe came in, uh, you know, with a God-given dream, but God, we, we need some help to get to understand it a little bit more. And God, you want to do something big in people's lives here today. More than just a New Year's resolution, but something that's going to change their life. And I pray right now, God, that through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would move among us. That this week, we would take the time to pray and ask you and then receive. And God, may we sing and may we lift you up in this place today. That you are a God who is bigger. You are a God who is greater. You are a God who is stronger. And you want to do something great in our lives and in your church that you call the jar. For it's your honor and glory that we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We're just going to sing and end. Uh, the same way we came in. So just uh, sing with us this last song and clap with us and, and just uh, praise God with us. So.